0: up our study in the book of Revelation. Uh, This week, as we look at Revelation, we're going to study chapter 21 titled, Let Them Dwell. In this chapter, we read of God's promise of a new heaven and a new earth. Usually, when we study this specific text, our mind starts to wonder, what will this eternal place look like for those who are in Christ? Now, at the end of most movie-like stories, there's a moment of happiness as the characters in the drama right away into the sunset, living happily ever after. We witness this mostly in Disney fairy tales, when everything works out at the end and all things are restored in harmony. This sort of storyline has even played a role in how we expect things to work out in our own lives. We seem to believe the ending should be the best part of the story as if there is nothing else to expect and everything else is downhill from here. At the beginning of May, I got to marry my beautiful bride, Gabby. We met nearly two years ago, and ever since I met her, I knew our journey together was moving towards a day when we would become one flesh in marriage. During these months leading up to our special day, life became busy with all sorts of chaos as we planned our wedding day, and we eagerly imagined the moments when we would say our vows, committing ourselves to one another, and making a covenant before the Lord saying, I do. Through it all, we both couldn't wait for our wedding day. It is our happily ever after moment that we had been praying for and hoping for since we started. When it finally happened, we celebrated and rejoiced with friends and family for all that the Lord had done and was doing. We ate food, we danced the night away, and when all was said and done, our hearts were filled with joy." Yet, what I quickly realized is that our story was not over. Though our wedding was amazing and full of expecting anticipation, it was not the end. The vows that we made before the Lord were not just past or present promises filled, but they were future promises of enduring love. The day after my wedding, I realized even something more. I realized that the best day of my life had not come and gone. Rather, my best days with my bride were before us because now we can enjoy life together in a covenant in the presence of God. Perhaps this too is how we think of the ending of the Bible. We look at end times events like the rapture, the second coming of Christ, and even the new heaven and the new earth as a happily ever after moment in God's redemption plan. We think as if our best moments were at the end of the narrative when reality— The ending is just the beginning of God's plan for us. God has given us the book of Revelation not only to inform us about the end, but he has graciously given to us for the knowledge of the future so that we would know the beginning of eternity as a place where both heaven and earth are one and where his presence is with his people. With that said, it is healthy for us to look and study the future place where God says he will dwell with us in all of eternity. For when we do this, looking towards the new heaven and the new earth, we become so heavenly minded that nothing earthly can ever unmind us from what God has in store for his people. For God promises that in the end, there will be a place, a new place, where we will experience his presence, his mercy. And his pleasures forevermore. So, what will this new dwelling place be like? Well, verse 1 in chapter 21 informs us that God will recreate or restore a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. This one verse is the fulfillment of what the Lord has said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 65, 17, which says this, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Although some theologians have tried to make additional implications on whether the word new here means renewed or brand new, what is apparent from the reading of Isaiah and Revelation is that the first heaven and the earth is going to be recreated, and radically transformed in its relation with the old. For God is ushering in a new dwelling place where there is no sea. Now, some of you might be curious of why there is no body of water in this perfect eternal place. And some of you who maybe surf will be bummed out, or should I say wiped out by, this, by what this implies. But I hope that you will find comfort in God's perfect plan. And if so, you would pick a new hobby in heaven like the harp. On a more serious note, though, uh, some commentators have disagreed on this interpretation, but what I want to do is I want to give you the most probable explanation for why the Bible says there will be no more sea and why it's important for us to understand it. See, the sea had more than an environmental meaning. In the Old Testament, a sea or a body of water had more of a theological symbolism of darkness, cosmic evil, and a place of eternal condemnation. We see this even in Revelation as the beast rises out of the sea. We even pick up on this notion in the Gospels, when Jesus calms the storm in the boat with his disciples. If this is true, then what is being declared by having no sea is there will be no opportunity for evil to arise from it. What the scriptures are teaching us is that the new creation— And heavenly place is where evil and darkness is completely absent and unable to inhabit creation, for the Lord has dealt justly with sin and rebellion by his second coming. Moving on, as verse 1 gives us a wide view of God's new place being set apart from darkness, verse 2 actually zooms in on a glorious city descending from heaven. John describes the city in holiness as a new Jerusalem coming down as a bride prepared for her groom. This verse echoes Isaiah 62, where the redeemed city of Jerusalem is made righteous by God's coming, receiving a new name and reflecting a marriage relationship with him. Verse 5 says this in Isaiah, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. What we gather to be true from John's vision is this, that first, God is expecting a city characterized by holiness. Therefore, the city is without sin, evil, and rebellion. For a city that dwells with God is a city that is without blemish or spot. It is a holy city because God himself is holy. Second, The city of God is defined by the people of God who live in it. For a city is not just a building or a street, but it's a community of people who inhabit it and thrive in it. Therefore, the kingdom of God is made up by peoples of God. It is a nation, not just a location. And third, the city is honored by a covenant relationship with God where love, sacrifice, and promises are fulfilled. Thus, when we view and experience an earthly marriage, we see it as a heavenly symbol of an eternal covenant God has made with his bride, the church. Therefore, marriage in the now prepares us for marriage in the eternal. With this said, when the city comes down from heaven, it comes as a renewed, redeemed, and glorified bride. Reflecting back on my wedding day, I remember the moment when I saw Gabby walking down the aisle in her white dress. I wept. My face wasn't pretty, but my heart was full because I saw the most beautiful woman, redeemed by God's grace, renewed by his love, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, coming to declare her love and commitment to me. This day marked a new beginning for us as we joined together for the rest of our lives. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 5.32, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. See, God promises to be in an eternal marriage with us. He declares through his word that we are destined to be in a loving, intimate relationship with our groom, Christ, not only in this life, but for eternity to come. Since this is true, we can enjoy communion with him now, and even more so sweeter communion with him as we see him face to face in the new heaven and the new earth. As the passage goes on to say in verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This phrase recalls the Old Testament language of God's promise to tabernacle with his peoples once again. In Exodus 6, 7, and 8, the Lord said, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out, Under the burdens of Egyptians, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. This promise God gave to Moses was fulfilled in Christ when he passed through the heavens, taking on the form of a man, dwelling with sinners, dying a sinner's death on a cross, and defying the grave by rising from it on the third day. Yet this is not all that he did. When he rose in power, he was given all authority over heaven and earth, declaring that the kingdom of God will fully reign when he t- returns the second time. In light of this gospel, Christians hold to a promise that is greater than Moses's. For in the new Exodus, we look forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God and where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death will be no more, neither will be mourning, crying, or pain, for the former things have passed away. This remarkable blessing is a promise to us that God's dwelling will bring the final reversal of the garden's curse where man no longer hides his face because of sin, but rather has a redeemed communion with God as he once did in the garden, where those made in his image walked with the Lord in all purity, righteousness, and in divine love. Thinking of this, what God has promised to us for all of eternity becomes our blessed hope now. Therefore, let us be reminded of what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. He said this, He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day, it will be said, Look, this is the Lord. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Our motivation today as the people of God is to live in light of eternity. That one day Christ will come again and he will bring justice to the world. And he will dwell with us as our great and glorious Savior, who has redeemed us and called us to his marvelous salvation with him. For in the end, we will rejoice in a new beginning with him in eternity as his beautiful, sinless, and glorious bride forever and ever. Amen.